0: Welcome to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host, Dennis Simpson, as we discuss the history, facts, people, places, events, lots more surrounding Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com. Today's show is brought to you by Central Arkansas' favorite radio station, KVRE, Find them on the dial at 92.9 FM. Stream them live at kvre.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out. Yet again, I got it right, Randall. I'm, I'm getting better at this. I'm getting better at this. Today, we have Mr. John Paul. And, and before I even let him say a word, I'm going to make the noise. Well, that's Mr. John Paul. What's so. that? That's a what? little premature, maybe Well, he's not dead, but I'm just <laughs> saying, <laughs> John Paul is not going to be the general manager for the POA 2.0 again. Right. I mean, right. That's why his smile is so big. That's,
2: that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> so let, me ask,
1: let me ask, what does it take to be general manager? Does it come with a, a jumbo sized bottle of
2: Tylenol or do you have to buy your own? How does that work? Well, the interim general manager doesn't have Tylenol. The uh, regular general manager comes with a full supply. I think it comes with a bottle of whiskey too. Hopefully, it probably does. Yes. Uh, I would think that would be in the cards.
1: So, how long did you think it was going to be? General manager, in, uh, interim general manager, and how long has it been?
2: Well, the first time it was a few months, and I thought that would be about right. And at this time, I thought it would be about the same. And it's wound up almost close to a year. Just does it really? A little less than a year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Give us, some Id-
0: give us some idea of the, of, of a kind of a schedule that, that it has required of you in the last year.
2: Well, it's full day. I mean, it's, it's, it's a full day plus a little bit, uh, just, just coordinating everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of turmoil when, when we got here and the whole idea behind it was to settle things down and, uh, be as transparent as possible and uh, answer questions truthfully honestly and and uh, whether they like it or not they were going to get a the answer to the question but uh i think for the most part we settle things down uh the assessment increase passed which was a blessing for everybody and that took up a lot of time but this position really is it's more than just uh, being a general manager. You're, you're having to get out into the community, too, and deal with the community, uh, with Garland County, Celine County, Hot Springs, and, and do all the things that it takes to uh, uh, work with the county governments, because that's a big part of it. And does it, it's going to be more and more as it goes along. Does it require a little PR hat, a little public relations? Oh, sure. I mean, the the relationships with the people, uh, with the county judges and, and the mayor and the city manager and those sort of things are all important. And I think that'll be a big part of what Kelly's walking into and, well, and developing those relationships because they've been up and down over the years and we've got a pretty good relationship with them now. We'd like to keep it that way.
1: Well, I want to follow up on Randy's question. I mean, really, what Monday, you do what? Tuesday? I mean, is it a crazy day all the time? Is it all meetings? What are you just busy recording great podcasts with other people? Maybe that.
2: Well, uh, meetings are necessary evil. We we try to get everybody on the same page. We start out Monday mornings with a staff meeting just to get everybody on page for the week. Uh, the major staff uh, uh, that that all comes in and we get on the same page for the week. But then our big meeting is Thursday in the afternoon, from one thirty, and it usually lasts a couple of hours, and we go over. Uh, everything that we've been doing and and getting everybody on the same page so that everybody knows what everybody else is doing, because it's a small community and everybody needs to know the why of why we do things. And And the more people that know the why, the more they can regurgitate that to the villagers to, and stop a lot of the rumors that go on with the truth. And that's the best way to stop the rumors.
0: How many direct reports does the general manager position? Well,
2: right now, uh, quite a few. Right now, it's about nine. Um, some days eleven, but that's gonna. I'm, I'm certain when Kelly comes in that that will be weeded down a little bit because there are a couple positions that aren't filled that will be filled, and one of them could be an operations person that would take a lot of that off because there are a lot of responsibilities besides uh, just the operations that that go on.
1: Hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated. The Thursday meeting, has that been a, a regular event or these things that you brought about or?
2: Well, I don't know what they were doing before I got here, but yes, I, I started, I started those, those meetings and uh, they've been very well attended and very well taken by the, by the staff. And, and I, like I say, it really informs them about what the other, uh, the, what the other staff is, is doing and why they're doing it. And it really makes a difference uh, in, in, in cohesiveness and getting everybody on the same page.
1: Well, nobody wants to look like a fool. Our, our department's doing that or your department's doing that. Or I didn't, when did we, you know, everybody hates that kind of confusion because it all makes
2: you look bad. Yeah, it does. And we're, we're all interactive. So that's why we do it.
1: So let me get this straight. So we're moving directly from here back to the house on the golf course, and we're going to sit in the front rocking chair or is it the back porch rocking chair? I'm, I'm confused.
2: I, I do have a back porch. There's no rocker yet, but uh, it's, it's on the way. I've got it's on it up, the way. On order
1: yeah, it's on the way. I, let me ask this, given your druthers, how many days a week would you play golf?
2: Well that, that question <laughs> the answer to that question uh, three years ago would have been completely different than it is now. Uh, I wasn't never an everyday player uh twice a week was plenty for me well there was a day I would have played every day but as I got older twice a week's fine and now twice a month I mean when you're when your game starts going south it's just not as fun anymore as it was and I've got too big an ego to move up a set of tees but I'm gonna have to here pretty quick if I want to enjoy the game anymore
1: are you moving to the gold is that what I'm hearing
2: Uh, well, we go first of all, we go to the uh whites and then to the silvers. So, the silvers, uh, I've got a couple, but well, maybe two or three more moves left in me. Wow. Well,
1: okay. So, I'm trying to envision, I'm going back to the earlier days. How long were you director of golf?
2: Right at 16 years.
1: Wow. And a and lot of tons of changes. And, and thanks to your gracious, gracious helpfulness. Uh, we're going to be interviewing Mr. Tom Clark soon. And thank you so much Eddie. for
2: those that of you who fascinating.
1: Oh, fascinating guy. But but to be very frank, I want ever all of our listeners and viewers to know if it wasn't for you. I mean, we might have found these people eventually, but we didn't have their cell phones and we couldn't introduce ourselves. And I mean, you really, really grease the skids for us there. Thank you. Thank you very much, John Paul. No problem. Uh, I was going to say, uh, back when you were in, the, in the, the 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 golf days, what was it like to want to play two or three times a week, but have a forty-hour job and think uh, this is keeping me from doing what I'd like to do? And and how is that similar to being interim general manager now?
2: Well, I played every Sunday. That's the only day I played when we were when I was working, and I played with a group uh, every Sunday and we'd play a different course. And I used to take notes on that golf course (laughs) because uh, you're a golfer, but there's a a completely different set of eyes. When you play the course is when you drive around the course and, and you can go drive around the course and take notes, but it's not the same as when you're playing because you're actually touching and feeling and seeing what the golfers see every day. So I played on Sundays, but I really wasn't playing because I was working at the same time. So uh, it, it was not uh, a real round of golf.
1: I, I suspected. I was going to ask if you if you were taking notes while you were doing. Diane and I have our four Airbnbs, and we we do. We work at that just like you, uh, but we will go and we play, we say, play guest, we'll play tourist or whatever, and we'll go and stay at one of those units. And I guarantee you, I'll see things that I wouldn't see any other time. And then when we go into hot Springs, we literally will go like we've never been before. Let's go someplace we've never been. We're going to go to, um, I don't know, uh, uh, what's the, uh, oh, what's the pizza place back behind bathhouse row, uh, uh, square peg pizza grateful something like head. that
2: grateful head. grateful
1: head grateful head yeah yeah, yeah. we, we like that and we just went there once or twice and you know wrote a little review of it uh superior bathhouse and brew pub go across to the the quapaw baths and, and just have a, a communal bath or a private bath or whatever. you know that was it was just a lot of fun to see that from the outsider view what would that be like if we didn't know where it was and, and frankly didn't take it for granted what did you see on the course did you see little bald spots did you see what
2: Well, you you see uh, the greens, first of all, you see the greens and how they're rolling and and you actually uh, are on more than one or two holes just uh, hitting the ball. So you see how they're rolling, how the grain is, but the bunkers were another thing. Uh, You you get a feel for the bunkers and, you know, back when people used to say, well, the bunkers aren't very good here. I I hated that because uh, a generality like that, we can't get better, but I, I would say, Tell me which ones were bad, and then we can we can work on those and fix those because we know not every bunker's bad. Now, there's been more time put in, and a lot of the bunkers are bad now, but there's a plan moving forward to to help those bunkers as, as we move along. So um, th- th- those are the biggest things that you see.
1: Well, just last question on golf for a minute, and we'll move on to other things. Your favorite course. What's oh, your favorite yeah. course?
2: Cortez, uh, right off the, the top. I love that golf course. I don't know. It fits my eye. I love the remodel that we did over there. I think uh, the holes that we really fixed, number seven, uh, number four, uh, that really got fixed in the renovation. And a lot of little subtleties that were done with the cart paths moving to the high side of the fairway and, and closer to the tee boxes. But Tom did an excellent job. Tom Clark did an excellent job with the remodel on that golf course. And Stephanie actually was involved in remodeling the clubhouse, and she did an excellent job with that. And uh, moving the parking lot up to the top where where the people that were uh, – go to the restaurant, we're right there next to it. So there were, there are just a lot of positives and I'll give a shout out to Mark Gallimore who, who grew in that golf course and uh, was really responsible for a lot of the renovation and a lot of the techniques that were used. But, uh, that's, that's always been my favorite, but especially after the renovation,
1: Randy, I'm hogging the mic. What's your question?
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, okay, eating, well, I'm uh, even
1: dropping. <laughs> well, let me explain uh, has it been ten years, maybe, for the remodel, or has it been more for the Cortez?
2: Cortez was the last. No, the soda was done after. Cortez yeah. was nine. Uh, let me think. Ninety-six.
1: Was it ninety-six? Really?
2: Well, no. Wait, wait, wait. wait. No, no, no. Because no, two thousand six. Two thousand six. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was to book, Cortez,
1: and the reason why I said that I was coming out here a lot at that time, and I remembered seeing that they cleared a lot of trees between the back parking lot and the number one, and they you know rearranged some things, and I thought, well, you know, why are you cutting trees and moving some stuff? And then when I actually started going there more and playing there, I was like, oh, I see, this is this is masterful, and and I think one of the greatest parts, the compliments about Cortez, and for those that are not golfers, I I'll, I'll shut up here soon, but Cortez is. Compact yet big and long and stretched out at the same time. Is that that's fair? Pretty,
2: that's pretty good analogy of it. There's no, there's no question there. There are a few holes like number uh, 14 and 15 that are, that are a little bit narrow, but most of them are, are wide open. And I think number two is the best par five in the village. Now mm-hmm. I know there are a couple of other good ones, but number two, I'd rank with, with, with any, any par five that we have. And uh, I tell you, Cortez, the, the the one of the best things that with the renovation is the quality of the grass that was put in. That course was common Bermuda, just like Desoto was, and we changed to a hybrid Bermuda, and the fairways came in just excellent over there. And there's not a lot of rough at Cortez, but you really don't need that rough over there. It it protects itself, and just a great golf course.
1: Randy, just to fill you in real quick, and our listeners or our reviewers also, if if you've ever played on a course that was just I call it sawgrass where it's left you know down back down back down back you you play the one and you flip around on number two and come back and you turn around, it's as if they've tried to compress as much golf course as they can into one place. If you're as poor a golfer as I am occasionally, and you have fairle- fair- fairways that are parallel to each other, and your ball may or may not occasionally end up in the last fairway or the next fairway you're supposed to be, and it's extremely embarrassing, no, no, no. I'd rather dig my ball out of the woods than I would have to go into the, the next lane over and go, Hey, hey, guys, don't hit me. I'm going to get this ball. Okay. I'll be right out of here. Right.
2: Well, you know, you, you go through every hole in the village and there's only about three pairs of fairways that are next to each other, six and seven at DeSoto, for example, <laughs> but there aren't many because they were most all building figure eights like we talked about last time. And, uh, they're designing the, 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 uh, houses at the same time, they're designing the golf course, the lots for the houses. And the beautiful thing that Cooper did was they, they put the houses, away from the fairways, you're not right on top of it. Like a lot of golf courses are Uh, there's a lot of room to play with.
1: Well, and one of the things Randy and I talked about asking and we, you know, it's this inside out and it's from a great distance and it's from, you know, intimately close. One of the things, and I don't know that our listeners are aware of this is that the village, as you drive through the village down to Soto, as a rule, you don't see homes. That's not, it was designed, as I heard someone say, like Hilton Head, where, you know, as soon as you turn off that road into a subdivision, yeah, there's a lot of homes there. But as you drive down the main roads, there's a green space buffer on both sides to protect that view and the feeling of wild. I actually had a friend that owned a communication company in Little Rock about 2003, 2004, and he and his wife wanted to take a tour of the village. So I just called him in a pass. He said, we drove from end to end and just couldn't hardly see anything. Are there any houses there at all? And I was like, I think that may be a compliment. I don't think it's a criticism. You know, I think if it's done well like that, it 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 has that feel. No, that's I, exactly right, and that's what they did. Did did uh, did they work hard to do that, or was it just a kind of this just kind of happened?
2: No, they did. That that was that was that's a great question for Ernie, when you get him back on here, but uh, he can tell you about how they did that. But there was no question that was uh, thought about.
0: That was the goal and the, objective. the golf community, John Paul, the golf community. And, and I, well, let's take the outside golf community, the, the people that may come and they may visit because they want to play the courses. What's what's the general perception of the village and the golf courses in the village right now?
2: Uh, unbelievable. I mean, uh, we've very rarely get complaints from visitors that come here. Uh, for the money, uh, it is a wonderful deal from people from Dallas, Memphis. Uh, those are the primary uh, people that come here. A lot of people have bought memberships. Just they come three, four, five times a year and they can play at property owner rates. So they, they buy a membership lot and uh, play off of that. Uh, we do have a ton of, uh, I say a ton, we used to have a lot more than we do now. But uh, we have a lot of people from Little Rock in the area that come over on the weekends that, that, that play golf. We used to have more, but uh, whenever they started having kids, <laughs> they started staying at home and going to softball games instead of playing golf. Now now their kids are growing up, and we're seeing a lot of those people coming back that don't have those responsibilities anymore. So they're a little well, old this time.
1: Well, let's discuss the overall I mean, I'm speaking with Tom Clark just a couple of hours ago at lunch and uh, who, who designed eight of the nine golf courses here in the village. And one of the Tom was talking about new courses he was designing. Well, I, I, I hear that and I hear, well, you know, so-and-so's closing going from an eight to a, I mean, 18 to a nine and, and the Belvedere closed and, and uh, they're closing another one in Conway. And what is the status? I mean, are we growing golfers or are we losing golfers? You think?
2: Well, I think you're starting to grow again with the Tigers resurgence. It's really got that buzz out there again, which is is helping and and he really was the reason that it took off the last time like it did and now he's bringing them back. but that if you watch the tournament this weekend, the the, the uh, uh, Hawaiian Hawaiian tournament, Uh, there's some great golfers out there and the uh, interest is just tremendous, not only on the men's side, but on the women's side too. And I think, I I would think that the game is growing. No question about it. If we could get COVID out of the way, it might even grow a little more. Well, I think that
1: COVID actually may have helped us in 2020, 2020 and 2021 because it was the one of the few things you could do outside besides fishing.
2: Well, that's true. That's true. But it is keeping people from traveling a little bit. And so uh, we would hope that, uh, well, and, and then again, if you get in your car and go, you're less likely to uh, contract it. So there may be more people that are driving to a drivable destination, which we are. And uh, your word within, I think the 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 calculation was with the last uh, uh, that came. Through, well, let me think. And they said there were 20, I think they said there were 20 million people within six hour drive. So that would be quite a number of people that would be driving here maybe to play golf.
1: Well, you know, Mr. Uh, uh, Cooper was obviously aware of the the dynamics of who was where and what. And, uh, I think did a great job of that. Uh, you know, he, he would always, from what I hear about the marketing material, he would always talk about, you know, wanting people to live better in retirement than they did in their, their regular life and whatever. Uh, and just a question to you, just want to ask your personal opinion and not an official position in any way. Uh, we asked Stephanie yesterday in an unaired episode so far, uh, is the, is the village a retirement community or is the village a resort community?
2: Oh, I think it's primarily a retirement community. Now, we do have a resort flair of of when people come over here, and and that's become more prevalent over the years. And in groups that come here, uh, the golf department will tell you that they've got anywhere uh, groups of four, eight, 16, 22. And last year, they had 72 people in a group. So you've got a little bit of that flair, but I would say that we're more much more a retirement community than we are a resort. We we don't have any lodging, you know. I mean, one of the things that w- that would really help here is is lodging because these groups. Yes, we have uh, Airbnbs and VRBOs that people can rent, but these groups that come in of twelve and sixteen that want to stay together. They have nowhere to be. They could be at a house here and a house over here a mile away, and they'd much rather be all together. So the one component that we need here and that we could keep full, in my opinion, is, is a small lodge. We don't need a big hotel, but we, we could certainly use a small lodge here, rustic, that would fit into the, into the environment, and it would help everybody. And it's not just golf. Uh, there are pickleball tournaments. There are bridge tournaments. There are all kinds of stuff that can help keep it, uh, keep it booked. And I don't think it would hurt the Airbnbs or the VRBOs at all.
1: I I think it's a very different experience. I I had a friend in Little Rock who, when I told him I was running Airbnbs here on the lake, he was like, so what people just come in and and put down their bags and and stay a night and go play golf. And I'm like, I can't tell you the last time I had a golfer. I I can't tell you. I, I don't recall, you know. Uh, I've had mountain bike people. I've had people that go to Coleman's and to go to the crystal mines, but if you're booking a place on the lake, you're not thinking about golf, you know?
2: Well, I think, um, uh, I, I can't remember the percentages, but it's close to 50% of the discovery packages. Don't play golf. They're, they're just in here looking really just mm-hmm.
1: quality of life and, and, and serenity
2: get out of a big city.
1: So tell me this, as we, as we look at the door for a second time, what are your accomplishments? What are the challenges ahead of you, you think, or ahead of the POA?
2: Well, I think some of the accomplishments are still the challenge moving forward, and the biggest one is the gates. Um, we talked about this before, but we're gating a community. We're gating a city, <laughs> and it is an extremely hard thing to do. And when you're dealing with people and you're dealing with 15 an hour or $15 an hour or less jobs, It's really hard to recruit people to stay in there and create a a workforce. I think we have to look at technology in the future to help us. There's no question about it uh, to take a lot of the workload off those people and to become more consistent uh, with people entering the village and and not tailgating and that sort of thing. But uh, that is the number one thing in my mind. And I know it's a big one in Kelly's mind, too, as we move forward. Is the uh, security of the village because that is what we hang our hat on, and a lot of the, and one of the biggest reasons that people move here. That's a big one. The other, the other accomplishment is just to stabilize our workforce and and to, uh, like I said, with our meetings, get everybody on the same page and uh, telling, telling the truth, telling the right story, and being as transparent as we possibly can. There are other things, and I'll think about it as we go along, but th- those, are the big, those are the big ones right now.
1: Well, I've heard a rumor, and I may be mistaken, but I want to let a cat out of a bag just a little. I don't even know if Randy knows this one. I heard a rumor that there was an interim general manager manning the East Gate one morning because somebody didn't show up if i'm not mistaken i think you may be intimately associated with the east gate personnel problem if am i mistaken was it not you at the east gate some morning letting people in until the real staff
2: showed up uh that was true i i go out the east gate every morning to the shell station to get a, uh, a a little breakfast sausage and a and a and a drink and i went out and the gate was closed and so i went over to the shell Shell station because it was right right at before seven. And I couldn't remember honestly if they opened at six or seven. And so when I came back, it was about 7.05 and the gate was closed. So I parked the car and got out and started letting people in till they till they showed up. You know, in, in 16 years of being the director of golf, we never opened a golf course late, to my knowledge. And one of the reasons that 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 happened is we have a workforce that are mostly retired people that are villagers. And they have they came with the work ethic behind them and they don't go out drinking on Friday, Saturday nights for the most part and come in the next morning. But we're dealing with a different workforce uh, at the uh, the gate level and uh, younger, younger people. And it happens from time to time. I just happened to catch it that day. But they came right after that and got it open and we got it going, but so you got to do what you got
1: to do. My, my parents have a printing company in Little Rock and that's where I kind of got my start and I was with them for 13 years. And uh, yeah, let me, let me, uh, the greatest piece of advice my dad gave me and that somebody had given him, he said, make sure, however you expend your capital, always make sure you have cash ready on Monday morning in case your pressmen are in the in jail and you need to bail them out. Always <laughs> have, always have bail money. So, my, you know, I know you're leaving now, but my little tip to you, John Paul, always have some bail money. All right, oh, you know what I'm okay. saying? I'm a little cash. Yeah. <laughs> Randy, I'm sorry. What do you got?
0: No, no, I'm I'm enjoying the eavesdropping. I, I've I've got great appreciation for for what you you've done, John Paul. I, I guess on a personal level, has, has any of the has any of the diving in and just having to do a ton of heavy lifting. I mean, has it ruined any element of the village for you? Oh, no, no, no. If
2: anything, it, it's, it's just made it better. I, I see all the, I, you know, there was a, you look at what Cooper did here and it, it's kind of fascinating that they were ever able to do this to begin with. Uh, they didn't know it would go this far when they started. Uh, they had no idea that they'd go all the way to highway five. They might've had it in the back of their mind, but they, they never really thought they'd do that. And to put something like this together, this this big together, would it will never happen again. Uh, I don't see how it could. And everything just happened at the right time. You know, when Weyerhaeuser, when lumber prices went down, they bought a little more land and they just kept going. But uh, it's quite a feat here. But no, I don't think anything would ever sour me on the village. My wife's the same way. She... I think I said it last time I was here, but she feels like we're on vacation every day living here.
0: Well, Dennis asked me that question after we started the podcast and we're now 200 and some odd days into this. Um, and of course I've gotten to know a ton of people, uh, most notably you and, uh, and have been able to meet a ton of people personally, you know? And so one of the visits, I think it was in October. He asked me, he said, you know, is any of this is any of this ruining, you know, ruining the village for you? And I'm like, and my answer to him was a similar one that you just gave me. No, no, it's not, you know, it's I mean, the the more, the more you learn and the more, you know, the more I appreciate it. So I, I appreciate greatly the fact that people like you're willing to step up and step in and I know it's uh it's a thankless job. I know it's a job that requires a thick, thick skin from all the people that throw rocks, but. I, I know Dennis and I both feel the same way. You know, we're, we're pretty proud of the relationship and the friendship that you, you've had and your kindness toward our show.
2: Well, deeply, deeply,
0: deeply deeply grateful. I'm sorry.
2: I appreciate that. Uh, you know, you just fall back and, and what I told my people for years, you try to do the right thing for the right reason. And if you do that, even if, if some people think it's wrong, <laughs> You, were, you had a reason for what you were doing, and you went you went about it the right way. That's all you can do. Well, that
1: sounds a lot like Stephanie Heffer yesterday when we asked her what she said. And she said, there was a guy I worked with for a decade or so who always said, just do the right thing, and it makes it a lot easier. I'm like,
2: hmm,
0: sounds
1: familiar. Well,
0: I
2: tried to pound that in. Looks like it took.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it only took 15 years, right? No, it didn't take that long with
0: her. It's a, I think she's a, I think she's a quick learner. Well, but the fact that you get the staff together to do what you do, because I deal with, with organizations, including city governments and, and so many people are siloed, you know, they've got their head down there and their job, they're doing their stuff with no concept that what they do has a direct impact in many cases to the person across the hall or the people down the way, uh, in a different building. And so. Yeah, i, I hope that I hope that the culture of the POA, well, I don't know. I'll let you address that. The culture of it now versus when you first stepped in there with all that turmoil. Well, let's
2: go back a ways. Uh, the culture of the POA when I first got here, Dave Johnston was the uh, general manager, and uh, the culture was terrific back then. Dave Dave was a great general manager with X's and O's and putting things together. We only had two general managers for the first, I don't know, 40 years. Everybody loved Dave. Everybody loved Dave. Yeah. And Dave was a great general manager. Uh, he really was. And he he did the same thing. He got everybody together in, in staff meetings and we talked about things and, and Dave was a very good proponent of doing the right thing for the right reasons and, and, and kept, kept it on a very high level the whole way. And since then we've had, I don't know, six general managers or seven general managers in eight years or nine years and, and uh, maybe a little more than that, but not much more. And, uh, you know, but to be fair, when, when uh, the first two general managers were here, 96% of the people were paying their bills and it was a little easier to operate back then. And then we, we lost quite a bit of, of, of people paying, and now it's like 80%, something like that, 76 to 80% of people that are paying. So there's a little more uh, pressure than there was before when everybody's paying. If we had 96% of the people paying now, we, we would have no problems. And we wouldn't have had to go up on the assessment increase. We wouldn't have even needed it. But uh, it's just life, and that's the way it is, and we move forward.
1: Well, Stephanie was saying the other day that part of it was, as Cooper was adding new lots every year, well, he obviously had a bigger tax base or a bigger assessment base every year. That obviously was a factor. And this just just being you, John Paul, and just being and you and the thousands of people who are going to be listening to this also. Uh, the the, the uh, I think about um, uh, why am I blank on him? Uh, the uh, J- Dave, Dave Johnson dave was a member of the community dave lived here and as as other have but dave was so integrated into the community as as the the general manager and he didn't have to be ceo he didn't have to have a big title he didn't have to whatever he was just such an easygoing, great guy and if you can i'll compare him to you we've had difficult conversations before you and i but i've never walked out and not thought i didn't get my fair hearing i, I thought okay John Paul at least heard what I was saying, and we, you know, we we had a, an understanding that you know may not be able to fix it, but this is what I want, and that's what you want, and let's try to work something out. Uh, and I always felt that way with Dave. I will say, since then, I, I didn't feel that some of the others necessarily plugged into the community. And and, and if I, you know, this is kind of a wide ranging topic. But what you said was anything that was sour you on the village. I don't think there's anything that would sour me or or any of us here, except if all the personalities changed because the people are what make this place. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's to die for. There's no argument there, but the people, John Paul, I mean, we've talked over and over about how many incredibly talented people have moved here and, and they're, 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 uh, they're community minded. They're, they're giving, they're, they're caring, they're, they're they're holistic about the community and want to make sure the community grows. Um, some of our last directors i don't know that i felt that way about am i in the ballpark well let me let me
2: let me help them a little bit
1: not directors i'm sorry yeah general manager i, I knew what you
2: meant the uh, the general managers uh, they they moved here cold they had to they had a steep learning curve ahead mm-hmm. of them. and until you've lived in the village for a while i see my personal feeling is that i I don't really think anyone should run for the board until they've been here for at least four or five years because I don't think they know the place at all. And, and, and they've got to, get their, to uh, get their feet on the ground. I used to referee uh, basketball and I, I did Division I college basketball for a while. And I didn't feel like we needed to be at that level until we'd refereed for 10 years. You have to see see it, feel it, touch it. Um, experience it before you can really have an opinion or, or, or make a call on the basketball floor. The same way here. I think you have to know what the challenges are and you don't know for a few years what they are because they're different than any, anywhere you've ever seen. We're a melting pot. We've got people that have moved here from everywhere in the planet, from Alaska, from Hawaii. We just got a couple from Hawaii that moved here and every state in the union. And all those people have different tastes in food. They have different tastes in music. They have different, because they're different ages. And you put all that together, and it it's really hard. It is really hard to, to try to stay ahead of that. And, and it's a tough thing. And these people that were hired to come in, Dave Twiggs and Leslie after that, they came in, and it was on their shoulders to try and right the ship as far as money goes. And uh, to try and do that in the first year, the first two years you're here and trying to get your feet on the ground, it's a tough, it's a tough road. And, and I don't, I'm not sure anybody could have done, it. Uh, but now we've got the assessment increase moving forward. The pressure's up, the pressure's off a little bit there. So we'll get back to trying to do the right thing.
1: Randy, have you
0: got something? I, I expect you do. I do, but go ahead no, no, no. It's your turn. It's your turn. No, it's, 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 listen, I, it's such a challenging, I've had this conversation, John Paul, w with nearly every guest that we've had that, that has had present or previous association with the POA, largely because of the work that I do with city government and the correlation I get the POA is not a taxing entity like a municipality, but, the parallels still are not lost on me. You know, a professional management, a board, these elected officials, and just just that whole dynamic. And then you take a place that is largely populated with uh, with older folks who do have more time on their hands. And everybody that I know in public administration freely admits that social media completely changed the landscape. Yep. It did for everybody. It did, and it, it's even in my opinion, it's exacerbated, you know, they're in the village, uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, as the new, as the new guy comes in and, and not that, not that he's asking your advice, I would, I would hope that he would. And, and, uh, and if, if he's smart, he, he will, or he has, you know, but as you pass the baton. And you're looking into the future, you know, based on now, what, you know, and all the experience that you've had, I don't know, what are, what are, what are some general thoughts that come to your mind as as we're moving forward now?
2: Well, I've spent some time with Kelly and he's very, very savvy. He, he, he's been here a while. His mother lives here. Uh, he has gotten out in the community, talked talked to myriads of different people, trying to formulate. Uh, a group of people that, that he can listen to and he listens to everybody. But let me give you a good example of what you're talking about. There's been a debate from the beginning on whether golf should pay for itself or it should be kept low in order to attract people here. I mean, that is a true debate that you could take either side of. Well, over the years, you have one board that said, no, we need to keep rates low to keep people coming here. And the next board would come on and say, no, we need to get closer to no subsidy for golf and the rates go up because more and more people don't play golf. And there's a great debate. Well, you walk into that the first year, you might, you might want to just steer clear of that one for a while because it, it, you're not going to make the right decision because it's always going to f- fluctuate from year to year and and that goes on with with other things with recreation with everything else what is the right thing to do well imagine a person with that doesn't live here that hadn't lived here that just comes in and gets involved in those discussions you know they take a side and they have to justify that side and they figure out maybe i'm on the wrong side of that down the road so those are the kind of things that really really test this job to to the limit and and that's why i say you really need some experience in here to understand, now there's going to be a learning curve for Kelly, but I think he's really gone about it the right way and uh, listened uh, to everything, and, and is going to hit the ground running with a lot more tools than the, than maybe the last few people have had. Well, I, I can't wait to can we can we follow up that chain of logic if you don't mind? Sure,
1: I, I love the logic. I, for for me, I had heard that initially. I mean, like in the 70s, was there a period where golf was
2: free? Uh, I think think in the beginning, golf, golf was free. You, you paid for a cart, but yes, it was. And then I remember some of the old timers talking, see, I was 47 when I took the job. So I knew most of the original group that was here. And a lot of them lived down to DeSoto and they were telling me the stories about when they finally first put a charge for golf on (laughs) The, the roof, the roof came down but uh, they did charge for a cart. But uh, like the villages in Florida, on their executive courses, golf is free. Uh, golf was oh, free for, for, for the beginning. Now, on their uh, regulation courses, it's not free. They're $40, 50 $60 around, but their nine hole or their uh, par three courses that they have down there, it's still free.
1: Okay, so, and, and let's put this in perspective. Once again, I have to, Brandy and I are acutely aware, there's a lot of different varieties of people listening. I, I've never played golf in my life before. Number one, where would you suggest I start? Number two, how much should I expect to pay? And where would you send me? Would you send me to DeSoto?
2: Well, that, that the answer to that question has changed over the years too, because DeSoto was made, uh, a long, was a long course. It was our longest course till we redid it. And a lot of the ladies hated Desoto; they wouldn't play down there. Desoto uh, was longer than Ponce? Oh, it was! It was one of the longest courses. Yeah. Really? We well, the T's were back. Now we added okay. the forward T's, so it made it shorter for for the uh, uh, women and for the seniors that wanted to play a shorter course. And people flooded back to uh, flooded back to Desoto. But uh, uh, a person coming here. Uh, Coronado is a really good place to start. No bonkers and an executive course, and it's going to cost you prime time twenty 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 two 20, $22 dollars a round. And uh, Magellan is a very good course from the forward T's to start with, but, now, with the exception of Ponce, uh, all the all the courses have the forward tees. I think they've even put the orange tees at Ponce now uh, out the uh, new uh, family tees, way up in the fairway that allow anybody to play anywhere. But you know, uh, prime time it's going to cost you twenty to twenty five dollars in that range to 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 play golf as a uh, member, as a property owner.
1: How, how do those rates compare to national standards? I mean, that sounds incredibly cheap to me.
2: Well, it is, it is, but th- that's why we have people, uh, <clears throat> playing here and becoming property owners. And then if you play a lot of golf, if you play a couple of hundred rounds a year, you get an annual and you get that rate down into 10 bucks a round or $8 a round. And I know there's one guy at the East end that'll play 420 rounds this year. <laughs>
1: 420 rounds. That's every day times something, right? Yeah, he, he was down for
2: two weeks too. <laughs>
1: He's we had to, to hold, take a vacation. He's
2: got, he's got to hold the record, doesn't he? <laughs> well, no, there are people in Hawaii that play upwards of a thousand rounds, but uh, he, he would certainly hold the record around here. Yeah,
1: that's, that's what, what I'm, I'm talking about around here. I'm not thinking my back would hold out for 400 rounds a year, but yeah, that's kind that's of where it is he's so. Down for two weeks. <laughs> okay. And, and let's just, once again, we have fun and we, we want to be informative, but at the same time, there's news here. I say news, there's information correct me if I'm wrong, when we talk about golf subsidy, okay, at one point it was free and then it was three or $5. And, you know, I remember those days, uh, actually, John Paul, I, I I can't go get it right now. I should have got it out in my, uh, desk in the, uh, in the office. I have a coupon book from 2003 where you could play with your discount coupons. I'm told those are golden these days. I don't know. That may not even accept them. Probably nobody around that even knows what they are these days, but anyway,
2: I've forgotten about them.
1: Yeah, well, I was just going to mention real quick. uh, So, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the subsidy for golf is about a million to one point two a year in that
2: ballpark. Is that about what it comes? Higher than that. I think it's been a million and a half at one point. Uh, The last couple of years, it's come way down, but uh, it's it's considerable.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not a small number. And when you say a million, you're like, oh my goodness you put that in the whole scope of all the budget. I mean, the roads, the ambulance, the fire, the, the uh, so, so it's not, you know, it's, it's nothing to sneeze at, but at the same time, it's not the biggest number on the page either.
2: Um, and it's for- also you got to keep in mind that that's the reason the village is here. It was all built around golf, golf and the lakes. And and so that was the reason it was here. So that hence the debate that we were talking about earlier.
1: Which, as you say, I, and it was a perfect example, John Paul, because you can see both sides of the story. A reasonable person would say, you know, I can see where that's the right thing to do. I can see where that's the right thing. And I think you also alluded to the answer, which is it depends. You know, is this an environment where we, are we in, a, in an economic environment where we need to draw people in? Or is that our only tool? Or are we at an economic environment where you know, we can kind of make some money at this or lower the, the subsidies?
2: Well, it's fairly easy for a person that doesn't play golf to say, "Yeah, it should it should pay for itself," and but that's not necessarily right because that's the reason that uh, houses sell. That's the reason a lot of people come here, and the golf courses need to be kept nice in order to keep keep everything moving along. Well, I'm the
0: I'm the non-golfer with both hands in the air saying the golf needs to be supported. We need the, we need the golf courses to be you know, as, as great as they are, cause I, I love it. I love it. I have invested over the years. I've invested quite a bit of money staying, uh, you know, short-term rentals on golf courses and no offense to Dennis and the lakes, but given my brothers, I'm going to be on a golf course and I don't golf. I've played two rounds of golf in my entire life. You know, I'm in, I'm in my mid sixties and I have no plans to take it up, but I, I enjoy sitting out and watching them. And, waving wow. to them and, you know, talking smack back and forth and, uh, yeah, it's great. And, and plus, you know, it's just, they're gorgeous. You know, they're just, yeah, they're, they're gorgeous. I, I, so I don't, I'm, I'm, I may be the out, the outlier. What, what have you seen John Paul in, 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 recent years? And we want to be respectful of your time and, and not overstay our welcome, but, but the exclusivity, you know, cause we we've talked to, and we've, we've talked about and we've alluded to, attracting more people in. Do you, do you get some sentiment of, you know, putting our arms? This is, this is mine. I I don't want anybody else in it. It it reminds me of, and you're, you're a music guy and we, we need to get onto that. Um, you know, you discover some artist, and you're like, man, this person is just terrific, but you know, they're, they're kind of your little secret you know, and then they might blow up and be popular. And it's like, well, you know, that kind of ruined it. Do you get any sentiment of that, especially over the last decade or so inside the village?
2: Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we used to kid about that. Uh, People would come in here and and, uh, build a house or, or stay for a while. And and say, okay, we found it, and I keep everybody else out of here. Right. <laughs> You're exactly right. That's been going on from the beginning, but then they'll tell a couple of people about it, and they'll be here before you know it. I, I can tell you of a couple, um, Bill Bill, and Kathy Walsh came here on, a, uh, uh, on the couples tournament. Uh, they heard about the couples tournament. They lived at the Trophy Club in Dallas, and And they came here on, on the couples tournament one year. And I cannot tell you how many people that they have brought here. I bet it close to 20 to 25 couples over the years that have moved here because of, of their, them spreading the word. And that's really how a lot of people uh, find the village is, is people doing that, but those are the active people. And, uh, that's, and Tucker brought this up at, the, at a board meeting. He thinks that that's the number one way that people find the village. And I'm certain it is. It is, but we still have to keep our marketing going to get the ones that are searching on the internet looking for a place to go to even know about us to come. That internet thing, are they still doing that these days? Yeah, it's getting big. Is it now?
1: Is it now? Yeah,
0: it's going to be.
1: I, I do want to make a note also, and I, I know you know this, John Paul and, and Randy and I have discussed this. You know, the village is a mighty white place. don't know if you know that seems to be to me. I think probably in the next five to 10 years, a lot of the, the adjustment we may need to realize is that it's not going to be as white a place as it is. And frankly, it shouldn't be. And maybe we should be a little more welcoming to those people, if you know what I'm saying. I realize I that think we, we are.
2: I, oh, I, I think I, we, we oh, oh, I think we think think.
1: are, too. I think we are, too. But I think we need I think the laity is going to say
2: we need to be more accepting of that. You know Absolutely, what I'm and and uh, I th- I think we're doing a good job of that now, and uh, hopefully it will continue, and that everybody will get on the same page with that because it is needed. It is needed, and it,
1: it is coming whether you like it or not. I, we were at the uh, uh, July Fourth celebration with the uh, at the at the uh, lake, and uh, I'm the the DJ there, and a lady comes up to Greg, you know, who's running the food expo there, and and uh, she says, I, "There's a lady who shouldn't be here." And Greg said, why? And she said, well, it's a, it's a woman in a bikini and a thong bikini with tattoos who's smoking. And I'm pretty sure she's not a villager. And Greg said, no, she, she's a villager. She gets to be here too. You know, I think that, that whole exclusivity, like, you know, we found it and everybody else needs to stay out and everybody has to look like us and sound like us and act like us. Mm, I I think that I, I imagine 30 years ago, I imagine everybody thought that too.
2: But I imagine, except except now their grandkids look like that, and so they're (laughs) having to adjust. (laughs) Yeah.
1: What size uh, plugs do your grandkids have? In (laughs) there, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, while uh, Randy touched on it, Randy, I'm going to let you lead the music segment or the discussion
0: here. Let's let's go through that. Well, I, you know, I, I mean, I, my big question is just I want to hear about I want to hear I want to hear about your history with music and especially with playing music.
2: Well, that might surprise you a little bit. I, I I was born in 1950. Okay, so I was 14 in, in 1964, and 1964, which is the best year of music, arguably in the history of the world, with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones all coming to the forefront, and and I was not musical at all. Because if you were in the band at junior high school, you were a nerd. You did you just didn't do that. So. I didn't play any instruments. And then when the Beatles came uh, in 1964, that changed everything. A guitar wasn't really a band instrument. You could pick up a guitar and learn. So I did, I got a guitar and I learned how to play with a, with a guy in town. Uh, interestingly enough, he was in a band with J.D. Souther out of, they lived in Amarillo and uh, the guy's name was Charlie Bates. And he taught me how to, to play the guitar. But um, I played junior high and high school. And then when I went to college, I sold the guitar and didn't play for 35 years. Never for 35 years. Yeah. never touched it again. And a friend of mine moved to the village. Who's our lead singer in the band. Now he didn't move to the village at that point. We both refereed college basketball and, and uh, we'd kind of horse around in the car with the radio singing. And, and uh, one, one, one year during the couples tournament, we had a barbershop quartet that came over and sang because there really wasn't anything here to, to deal with uh, as far as uh, entertainment that we that you could bring in or groups or that sort of thing, and it was okay. But Brian looked at me and said, "We can do better than that." And there was a guy that played a Granada, our lead guitar player, Hose. And uh, we got talking with him. We said, You yeah, know, we ought to work something up and play for this tournament next year. So we did. It was Hose and Brian and I and a laptop. And uh, it was three guys and a laptop that kind of did the background music. And, and we played and got a standing ovation. And we thought, Well, that was interesting. Brian was a really good singer. And long story short, one thing led to another. And, and we got, it became, four piece and then five piece and then seven piece and now 11. So we've got 11 pieces in the band and we do mostly sixties and seventies, uh, old, old rock. We've moved into the eighties a little bit because the crowds get a little younger, but, uh, uh, I had host host said, why don't you play along with us? And I learned, I remembered more about guitar than I thought I did. This is about 12 years ago. And so I, I kind of, uh, play along with them. But I told Brian, as long as I'm the worst one in the band, we'll be okay. <laughs> and, and that's kind of where we got started and that's how we, that we're there now.
0: And how, and, and so what's the, what's the schedule like for you guys like, oh, now? We
2: play enough to keep it interesting, but not enough to, to where it it's too much work. We'll play oh anywhere between 12 and 15 times a year. We play in Dallas and we play here and, uh, We've got, you know, we've got the horns now. We've got three horns and we've got two girl singers and we've got uh, Brian. And it's very eclectic. We do everything from Roy Orbison to Jay and the Americans to the Buckinghams to, uh, um, uh, awesome. you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. And we picked up some new stuff and, and we do a little Merle, uh, up-tempo Merle. And it's very eclectic, so you need to come see us. We'll we'll be playing at least three times in the village next year. So now,
0: yeah. will you will you step up those efforts once you step away from this interim gig? No, I think
2: no. You know, as we're all getting older now. We're probably on the on the downward side of this. We'll go another year or two, but uh, uh, we're probably on the downward swing on that. But it's still fun, and it's so, it's enough to keep it fun, but not too much to make it like work.
1: Well, so let's make sure this is Colt and the old 45. So you're one of the old 45s. Is that what it is? Yes. I'm one of the oldest (laughs) old 45s. Well, let me ask this. So where do you practice? How do you, I mean, you play in Dallas?
2: What? What? practice. (laughs) Well, what is this practice?
1: We don't need any practice. We practice 12 times a year when we play at the location, right before we have a sound check.
2: Well, we'll, we'll have our, we call it an annual rehearsal. But uh, <laughs> oh, rehearsal. Uh, other than that, these, most of these guys are either uh, band directors or studio musician quality, and they can pick up a, a sheet of music and play anything. And we'll go over it and sound check, but you'll never know. It wasn't 50 times uh, before it's all well, over. Now, if can anybody you read makes music? A mistake, it's going to be me. Can
0: you read music? <laughs> no. He just has to know where the volume control is so he can turn his guitar down and just act like he's playing.
2: <laughs> no, I'm actually in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, good, good. Well, you should
2: be. You should well, be. I'm in,
1: envious. In college, I was the, uh, the lead bass and the sound man and the uh, LCD, I called it. The lowest common denominator. I knew that everybody around me was better, <laughs> so all I had to do was blend in, right? I resemble
2: that.
0: Yeah. The way I play music was I used to play records and now they're it's all digital, but that's how yeah. I play music. Now you hit the MP3 great. button, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, i tell you, John Paul, it has been an absolute pleasure. John, Randy, is there anything I'm missing? And we're going to have to have you back. You know that if you don't mind.
0: Oh, we're always, no mi- we're always missing something, but that's, that's the good thing about it. There's always, always another conversation.
1: It. Well, we always enjoy it too. It, it's always a pleasure. I, I can't tell you. Thank you enough. Um, I think, and, and this is just, I think I'm speaking for the village. I really do. The vast, I'm speaking for the village. We appreciate your steady hand at the wheel over the last year and a half or or how many ever months it's been again, because literally, John Paul, you're a very moderating effect. Uh, Everybody feels heard. Um, Nothing radicals going on. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You just have a steady hand on the wheel. It's very gracious and very appreciated.
2: I appreciate that very much.
0: And my wife and I can attest that we bought property under your watchful eyes at the interim general manager. So we did that uh, a month or so ago. Well, early December.
2: Well, we welcome to it. the village. So, yeah.
0: So we're, we're, we're excited. So yeah, it's been great. We we Thanks. appreciate you being a friend of the show. Well, I'll, I'll tell you night, what, Dennis.
1: Yeah, I'm saying goodnight, Dennis. For Hot Springs Village Inside Out, I'm Dennis Simpson, Mr. Randy Cantrell, and joining us for our second of many times, Mr. John Paul, we will see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by visiting our website, hsvinsideout.com and tell a friend.